You know what it feels like when you've been away from home for a really long time and you yearn to be home, right? Maybe it's you want to just feel something from home, like a, a just a well-cooked meal. Or you have like a recliner that you're like really looking forward to get back to, right? Like you just have that, I got to get home. I want something stable, something that feels normal. If you've been in the hospital many nights, you often have that feeling of wanting to get back to something normal, something that is yours. For example, I talked with Grace Rebus. She's in the hospital, hopefully coming home today. Talked with her a couple days ago. And I said, you know, Grace, what, like, what's, what's the one thing you want? And she said, I want my bed. Not making. I want my bed. That's what she said. Because her bed is normal. Like, that's stable, and she's about done with the hospital beds. And so for her, that's what that, that, that feeling, that's what she was feeling, was wanting to get back to her bed, that sense of normal. You know, we all understand what that feels like when we've been away for a long time. Well, that's kind of something like what we're experiencing right now. We're getting back after 10 weeks, and we're looking for something normal. Now, there's a lot about this Sunday that's not normal. And there will be several things along the way that don't feel normal. This room's not full. Now, if we took all three services and put you in here and took everyone off the conference line, this place would be packed. But that's just not where we find ourselves. But we're still yearning for something normal, something can stabilize us. So I want to give us that. I want to give us at least one thing that can stabilize us. Something that will feel like coming home. Something that will almost be like that blanket, that security blanket where you know everything's going to be okay. I want to maybe show you this stabilizing force. Take a look. Just wait for it. It's coming. All those of you listening on the conference line, that's right. That's right. We are going to return to the gospel of Mark. That's your security blanket. You like that? That's right. I thought that was good. I was very creative. All right. Um, all right. So we're, gonna, we're doing this for a, a couple reasons. So one, this is a series we've been in for a long time. We've actually had 33 sermons in this one gospel. We're over halfway there. And so I want it to be, a, be, a, be something that provides stability, like we're returning to something we know. Now, on, the, on, on a less serious note, we need to finish the Gospel of Mark. And if I continue to do something different than the Gospel of Mark, we won't finish until next year. And we need to be done. Tess herself, when I told her we were going to return to the Gospel of Mark, she rolled her eyes and sighed and said, really? And I said, yes, yes we are. Very exciting. Now, on a more serious note, I think we could do a lot worse than coming alongside Jesus at this time. And I think we can learn a lot even as we step back into this journey with Jesus. So that's really the goal. We want to step alongside with Jesus, walk with him in the weeks to come as we're in this weird place coming back together. And so we step back in right where we left off. We step in at the end of chapter 10. So chapter 10, verse 46, we pick up with a story in the Gospel of Mark. Let's read. Mark chapter 10, verse 46, we're going to go to the end of the chapter. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Well, many rebuked him, and they told him to be quiet. 
But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. So this is just one story, not a lot of verses. And at first glance, it appears to be a standalone story. It's the story of one man, blind, receiving sight because of his faith. It would just seem that would be a standalone story. We could do a lot maybe with just that, that story. But Mark never writes a story to stand alone. We've seen this over and over again, that when Mark pulls together the events of Jesus' life, he ties them together in such a way to tell us something. You can imagine all the different things Jesus did while on earth. And so the gospel writers, they make these decisions by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to put their record of Jesus' life together in such a way as to communicate something, something about Jesus and the nature of the kingdom of God. And so this story sits within a larger context. And that's what we want to explore. Why is the story, why does the story sit where it does in the gospel? It's actually the final part of a picture Mark's been painting for three chapters. Starting in chapter 8, Mark's been painting a picture of ironies. Particularly as it relates to the disciples. You see, those that we would expect to see Jesus clearly can't see him at all. But those that are blind or those on the outskirts see him as he is. Everything seems to be upside down. It's an irony. Those that see are actually blind. But those who are blind actually see. And so what we want to do is we want to explore the irony as it sits with this story. And we're going to go back to chapter 8 and watch as Mark throws one story up against another story to reveal something about faith and blindness. So we go back to chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 33. And we're going to just take an excerpt, ex expert here, okay? And we want to look at just some key points in that longer passage. Watch the two stories laid back to back. Then, Mark 8, 22 through 33, then his eyes were opened. This is the story of a blind man receiving sight. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Take note, the blind man sees everything clearly. Right after that story, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Notice, notice the contrast. In one story, you have a man blind coming in faith, receiving sight, and then he sees everything clearly. And right after that story, Peter comes, declares Jesus Messiah, which is true, but then quickly reveals how little he actually understands. Because Jesus explains, I have to go die and then come back to life. For Peter, that doesn't compute. Because in Peter's mind, 
Jesus is the royal king. He will go into Jerusalem, he will kick out the pagans, and he will rule the world from Jerusalem with great power and violence when needed. That's the Jesus he expects. And yet Jesus here now talks about going and dying, being beat, suffering. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. Peter, Peter sees the kingdom of God as full of power. And he wants to be part of that. He's going to be part of it. And so what he does is he tries to take control of the situation, make sure Jesus understands his real vocation. And Jesus quickly corrects him, rebukes him even. And so what you have is you have the, a person close to Jesus who cannot see, while the man blind now sees everything clearly. So these two stories sit right up next to each other to show us an irony. The one you would expect to see Jesus clearly can't see him at all, while the one who can't see sees him as clear as day. I'm going to put it up as a summary, something I've already said. Let's just make sure we get it. A blind man sees clearly, but Peter can't see at all. There's the contrast. Now, we just want to roll into chapter 9. Let's watch Mark paint another one of these pictures uh, in chapter 9. So what we have, chapter 9, verse 30 through 37, Mark records these two stories back to back. He said to them, they will kill the Son of Man, and after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. Interesting. Jesus again tells his disciples, those closest to him, what must happen. They do not understand. They don't get it. They can't see. Interestingly, at the same time they can't understand, they're also arguing about who's the greatest. And then Jesus comes into the house and he embraces a child to reveal the true nature of God's kingdom. And that child then embraces Jesus. Now that's an irony. That's an irony. Let's summarize it this way. The disciples can't embrace Jesus for who he is. The irony is that a child can. It's not what you would expect. So while the ones closest to Jesus are busy talking about how great they are, making attempts to grab power, stay in control, you have the innocence of a child seeing Jesus clearly. It's the same pattern as a blind man coming in faith while the disciples are blind in their arrogance. Those patterns play out. And Mark intentionally puts together the story to play off the pattern so that we see it over and over again. Because when something's repeated in Scripture, it's important. Then we come into the story today. It's the second half of the contrast. So in the story today, you see Bartimaeus coming in faith. A man blind who sees Jesus clearly. The first half of the story is what you would expect. We're going to see disciples not understanding, grabbing for power. Check out those verses that come right before our story today. Mark chapter 10, verse 32 through, 30, uh, through 45. We'll take just an excerpt here. 
The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Let one of us sit on your right and the other on your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Right after this story, guess who, guess who calls out to Jesus with spiritual sight? Bartimaeus. So here on the one hand, you have Jesus declaring again what will have to happen to him. You have now James and John grabbing for power. They want to be part of all that glory, all that royal enthronement that's coming. They want a piece of the pie, and yet they don't understand what they're asking. They don't see. The irony is, in our story, the man who literally can't see sees Jesus clearer than anyone else. Isn't that interesting? We'll summarize it this way on that last story. Bartimaeus can see, but James and John, they can't. Interesting. So because Mark puts the stories together this way, we need to ask, what is he driving at? What is he wanting the reader, you and I and those early, early Christians reading this account, what is he driving to? He wants the readers, you and me, to ask a question. It's this question. We need to ask this. Why can't the disciples see what a blind man can? What in the world? Well, in each of the accounts, interestingly, the disciples are making a grab for power or control. Peter wants to make sure that Jesus does, does everything his way. The disciples are arguing who's the greatest. And James and John are trying to get a piece of the, the power. They're trying to get part of the glory. They want to be in the enthronement. Each, in each moment, they don't understand. They get rebuked for not understanding. That tells me that the kingdom of God doesn't run on pride. It runs on humility. If you want to see Jesus, then you have to come with humility. You know, Jesus would say it, would say it different ways to different people. But along the way, as Mark paints each of these pictures in chapters 8, 9, and 10, along, he then makes sure to put a teaching of Jesus that brings the corrective. Check this out. Mark 8 Mark 8, in the, same, in the same passage, in the same place he's painting this picture of irony to reveal something about faith and blindness, he puts a teaching of Jesus that tells us exactly what we need to learn. Mark chapter 8, verse 34 through 35, and then we'll just pick one out of Mark chapter 10. They're all over the place in Mark 8 through 10. We'll pick these two. Jesus says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. But whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. And then chapter 10, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter. If you want to see Jesus clearly, then you must deny yourself. If you want to come be part of the riches of healing and grace, well, then you must come like a child. You let go of your ambition let go of your arrogance. Stop trying to be in control of everything or trying to be number one and you come like a child. If you try any other way, there is rebuke. You don't know what you're doing. You're probably talking about being the greatest while not seeing God clearly. And ultimately, Jesus said, you can't be a student if you think you have it all figured out. What student ever learns well when they think they have it figured out? I don't think our teachers in the room have ever taught a good student who think they already have it all figured out. Those are the students you want to get rid of, right? 
right? I mean, maybe that's too brass. Maybe brass, we shouldn't say it that way, but uh, I know what's inside of you. I'm married to a teacher. I get it. <laughs> All right. It's that point, though, that, that students, true students, come to learn. And that's the nature of the kingdom. So what does this all have to do with me and you? Now, we're going to move right into application, really, for two reasons. Number one, we've got to get done with the sermon. We're on a time crunch. Number two, the Bible always has application for our life. So let's make some. Here's a question that we need to be asking. It's a question I'm asking myself. Who am I like? Like, who am I like? Now, not just in general, but one of the things Mark always wants the reader to do is put themselves into the story. And they must answer that question for themselves. And so we're really kind of left with these two characters in play. And so let's ask those two questions. So on the one hand, we could ask this question. Am I like the disciples who want to be in control and be number one? Is that, is that what I'm like? Well, yeah. I mean, honestly, it is. That is what I'm like. I like being in control. And in a world where I feel like I don't have a lot of control, I want more of it to feel secure. I want control. But then I'm brought to the, the, the other character in the story, and I've got to ask this question. Am I like the blind man who knows he doesn't have it all together and asks for help? You know, the kingdom of God runs on that second question. It's being like the blind man who understands they don't have it all figured out. But my, it is hard to ask for help. I don't like asking for help. And one thing I've noticed, maybe you've noticed it, is that in the last 10 weeks, really 10, 11, 12 weeks as we've, as we've lived in a world that seems so out of control, at least out of our control, we've tried to maybe grab it in all the other places where we have any semblance of control left. Like, I know that I have no control over what's going to be open or not open. You know, Governor Cooper's been my enemy for 10 weeks. He closed our church. What's he doing closing our church? That's not a political statement. I got nothing... No real qualm with Governor Cooper. He stands in as an example. Please don't walk out of here saying, Jason just said he's not a Democrat. All right, okay, all right. I see where we're going. All right, okay. But, but and I know people got money, and they're, they're funneling that money in different places across, across the world and in our country, and there's a lot of interest groups in play, and I know I got no control over any of it. I don't have that much money to control anything. So you know where I got control? In my house. You know what? You know who doesn't think they have that I have control in my house? All my kids. They don't understand I have control. And so every day we got a battle. They don't I have control. They think they do and we fight. And so for 10 weeks every day is a battle of who has control. And when I want to be number 1 and be in control and have it all figured out, you know what begins to happen? Certain things start coming out of me. Let me just give you an example. I'll read it this way. I know that I'm struggling with pride when these things start showing up in my life, gossip, outbursts of anger, passive aggressiveness, impatience, rudeness. You ever wonder where I get these lists? There's no like preacher book I'm pulling from. It's my life, okay? And I am an expert at passive aggressiveness. I can pull that one off better than any of you. That's right, I'm boasting. No, I shouldn't go there. We're going to cut that from the recording. That is not flattering. All right. But you get the point. That, that these can be really easy to run on, particularly when you're trying to grab control or be number one. When I want my time at home and other people are pulling on me, I can be very impatient. And that has a way of coming out, and it can come out as an outburst of anger. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. 
But in general, when we are trying to be number one or stay in control, there are certain things that begin to emerge in our life. So pay attention to those. Pay attention. Because they're a sign that you may not be seeing Jesus clearly. And you may not be learning. You may be living in a posture of pride. Now, that's like that convicting side. It's the piece that's like, man, that steps on my toes. But the story also provides encouragement, some promise, some hope. And it, this is that piece that I really want now to kind of lean in on. When we confess that we don't have it all together and we ask for help, God gives grace. So the blind man, we don't know how long he's been blind. We don't know how long he's been sitting there at the city gate. We don't know a lot about him, but we know that he sits on the margins of the city and he knew Jesus was coming by and he starts crying out. We know that and he's asking for mercy. We know he's asking for mercy. And he probably thinks he's got a very little chance of getting it. So much so that the crowds start telling him to be quiet. So there's peer pressure to just shut your mouth. But he keeps calling, he keeps calling. And what does Jesus do? He comes right up alongside him and gives him grace. Now, that doesn't mean that God's a genie. It doesn't mean if you're struggling and you say, God, I want this, he'll give you that. But what we do know is that God will give you just what you need where you are. I don't know what that looks like for all of us. But I do know that when you confess, I don't have it together, God will meet you there. That's how the kingdom of God works. Because when you and I confess that we don't have it all together and that we're not really in control... What happens is we're not coming to God with clenched fists. We're coming with open hands. And God, God can put a lot of grace in open hands. It's really hard to fit grace into clenched fists. And so we confess, we don't have it all together. I don't want to be number one. I need your help. That's what Bartimaeus does. And he finds grace in that moment. And for him, it looked like having his eyesight restored. For us, it'll look different right where we are. So I want to kind of move us to that next step. Real easy. Think of it like a small prayer. Our next step this week is to confess you don't have it all together and trust God for grace. Now, I know sometimes we'll joke with each other like we don't have it all together because who has it all together? But when we get down to the way we live real life, we often try to have it all together. Listen, we don't have it all together. I think that this pandemic shows us at any point it can be revealed how little we actually control. And so we, we move into a space of confession. And we say, I don't have it all together. That's where we live. And you know what? God's going to meet you there. And I don't make, don't make this complicated. This is literally you step into the day. Maybe start the day and just say, God, I don't have it all together. I need your help. And he'll give you a little help. And he'll keep working with you. And it's not going to be a microwave. It's not like today will be perfect because you asked for help. When apple trees start growing in 24 hours then you can expect God to microwave your soul. But until then, expect God to work with you slowly. That's the nature of life where we are. And so we ask God for help tomorrow. And then on Tuesday, then on Wednesday, and he will meet us there. So that's where we go. And we don't move like the disciples thinking we have it all together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the inspiration that Mark brought to this record of Jesus' life to put it together in such a way that would move us deeper into the kingdom of God. So help us right where we are in real life. And that means right here in May 2020, in the middle of a reopening process and a very scary virus. We just need your help. 
We also need your help as we mourn the, the loss of loved ones, as we face sicknesses, as some are hurting in their body. There is just a range of things that we need your help with. And we know you'll give us grace. And so what do we want? We want help. And we know you'll give it under the authority and the good care of Jesus. And so we pray that under his authority. Together we say, Amen.